We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, hello. It is Josh Bow with Pod Maverick. Uh, this is our After Dark uh, recap podcast following the Mavericks' 124 to 118 win against the Charlotte Hornets. The Mavericks are now five and one on the season. All five wins have been clutch wins. It's been a pretty interesting start to the season, to say the least. Um, and this was a pretty interesting game. Kind of felt like it encapsulated a lot of. Uh, what the both the good and the bad of, of this Mavericks roster. So it's me, Josh Bo, one of the editors over at MavsMoneyBall.com, also the co-host of Pod Maverick. Joining me tonight is not my normal co-host, Kirk Henderson, because he has a newborn baby to help take care of. It is Jordan Brodus, one of our longtime senior staffers and editors. How are you doing, Jordan? Good. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. I think this is the first. I think this is the first time we've had you on since draft stuff i think we had you yes. on for the live show uh yeah when we were watching the lottery or, or the actual draft so it's good to have you on um this game was interesting in that it kind of felt like it felt like a last season's mavericks game for about the first two thirds <laughs> and then the only difference you know and then went into clutch uh and they won which is like the difference because last season they just would have they would have lost so I'll just kind of kick it to you to start. Just kind of what were your initial impressions of the game and kind of what stood out to you the most? Um, yeah, I I said to you right before we went live that uh, I was sitting there watching in the second quarter dreading having to be on this show because I thought this is going to just – they're going to trip their way into like either a boring loss or a heartbreaking loss, but it didn't look like it was – turning in the right direction, which definitely felt reminiscent of last season. But I do feel even just five games into this year that uh, we keep, I keep hearing people bring it up. Uh, It keeps getting mentioned that uh, most of last season, they could not win these, these exact games. And, and it's happened now, like you said, 
multiple times this year already that they are uh, beating teams in close games. Now, should they be close games if they're taking the steps forward that they want to take? No, probably not. But I think it's better. It's certainly better to be in this position saying, well, we're getting the wins that we weren't getting last year. Uh, if you can continue to do that for a while while the pieces start to gel, then uh, better things are going to be happening than last season. That's for sure. Especially, you know, I agree with that, especially when this was clearly not a Luca A game. Um, yeah. I, you know, he still ended up with a good final box score because that's just Luca. Well, not great box. I mean, he didn't shoot well, but he still had 23. Line, yeah. yeah. Still had 23 points, 12 rebounds, nine assists, four, only four turnovers, which is pretty, pretty good. Um, so, yeah, he obviously he didn't have, you know, he didn't have his best stuff. And I think what was pretty notable about this win was, you know, last season, it felt like the Mavericks basically needed Luca to do everything. And then he would be out of gas late in the games in the fourth quarter and no one else could really do anything. Um, even after the Kyrie trade, because if anything, they were more depleted after the Kyrie trade. Now I'm looking at this box score, and I'm and, you know after watching this game, I'm you know Grant Williams 18 points on nine shots, Derek Lively 15 points, 14 rebounds on seven of nine shooting. Um, Kyrie didn't have a great game, but uh, still got his scoring in. You know Tim Hardaway Jr. didn't have another you know didn't have a great shooting night, but still got 16 points in. You know Dwight Powell 10 points in 15 minutes. Jaden Hardy. A really impressive 14 points uh, in his 14 minutes. His shooting line doesn't look great, but he was seven of eight from the free throw line in 14 minutes, which is, which is pretty, which is pretty spectacular. And he yeah. kind of felt like the spark plug that turned the game around. And I thought that was cool because, like Hardy in the second half of last season had to play because there were no other options. And we've seen this season, he isn't a regular part of the rotation. Um, he hasn't, his minutes have not been maybe as consistent as some Mavs fans would like, but in a way it kind of, that almost feels like a good thing in the sense that like this team's depth is such improved that you don't need Hardy to play every night, even though, you know, you would like your second year player to get as many minutes as possible, but just being able to have that, like that change of pace spark plug that they can go to. They didn't really have that last season because they're, they're, their end of bench options were Frank Nilakina and Theo Penson and McKinley Wright with no disrespect, but Hardy is just a, a significantly upgrade in talent over those guys. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool that, you know, I, I think the depth showed really well in this game. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, to, to your initial point, the game turned around with Luca on the bench and I don't know how many times in his, however many year career we could say that sentence that like, and that's not even, I mean, yeah, Luca didn't have a good first half, especially, but uh, th- there have been very few games where the Mavericks ended up with a win where you could say that Luca was on the bench getting rest when the game turned around. Um, that allowed for Luca to be much uh, more fresh in the fourth quarter, like we, you were mentioning. Like that's been the whole goal is f- identifying players to add to this roster that can uh whether he's on the floor or not give him some break from the workload uh in a game and allow him to uh have his legs under him in the fourth quarter and we saw that happen tonight uh it was a really funky lineup that (laughs) uh that led to that turnaround uh i i wrote it down somewhere but i i believe it was 
Kyrie Irving, Jaden Hardy, Josh Green, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Dwight Powell on the floor uh, in that third quarter turnaround. So four four uh, guards and one big, basically. Four guards and one big, and and uh, that is four players off the bench with Kyrie Irving. So you know if there's a if there's a world in which um, because the Mavericks, are, you know, I think are putting some stock in having Hardy be down the line at least that third ball handler scoring option, um, and he's still growing into that. But if the thought is that Kyrie and Luca can do some trading off while one gets rest, the other one is running the offense. I don't know that that formula tonight that lineup is going to be. Uh, repeatable too many times this season um but it was exciting to see both the energy that that unit brought to the floor um but then also that it did allow for uh luca to get rest and uh they they inserted him into kind of a similar lineup in the fourth quarter uh while i believe Kyrie was getting rest there was kind of a three or four guard lineup with Derek Lively on the floor that uh, sort of carried that similar energy early in the fourth quarter that kind of sealed the game in some ways, even though it was a one possession game up until the final seconds. Yeah. Um, Lively was, you, you mentioned Lively there, but Lively was really, really good. Yeah. Um, I think he, it was kind of an interesting game because Watching it, I felt Lively played well. He had a block. I mean, clearly he had 15 and 14. He, he had a great game. Um, I took a look. The Hornets had 72 points in the paint, um, which is quite the number. Uh, well, yeah, I, I, have a, I have a note from the first half even that at halftime, let me see if I can find it. At halftime, they were 25 of 38 from inside the arc. Like that is a an absurd number. They were they were two of uh, two of nine from three in the first half. I mean, they didn't shoot well from three, no matter what the, the whole game. Lamelo got hot in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that was but but uh, they had only taken nine threes in the first half, and they they couldn't they they were getting a free runway to the basket, even though Lively was presenting some resistance but i mean uh, the hornets could not miss in the first half and and lively as you mentioned he had one block but that one block was a huge turning point in the game right before we started uh the show here i i went back to find when that was in the game and it was right around the nine minute mark in the fourth quarter he rotated over onto thor who had what was essentially going to be a layup or a dunk and met him at the rim and rejected him, and that was just uh, just previous to that. Hardaway had hit a three, so that led into that block. And then Hardy went in transition, got fouled, and made both free throws. And they took the lead in that sequence from the three into the free throws, and they never gave it up again. And that lively block, uh, as you're saying, they they scored plenty around the basket uh, tonight, but he provided. Uh, a spark there at the end and a really timely moment and was a disruptor on the glass enough uh, that it made an impact. And yeah, I, I mean, I was, um, I was hopeful, I would say maybe is the right word about Lively's development this season and what he could do if given the opportunity. But 
I would have never believed you if you would have told me that he would have uh, two double doubles in the first five games, that he would have three games where he had over 10 boards already. Uh, he has shown uh, enough sparks here, even in the first five games of the season, that it's exciting to see the Mavericks have a young big man like that, that, that is making not just like box score uh stuffing a box score on any given night but he's making like impactful specifically impactful plays uh that's that's been exciting to see so early in the season yeah for sure and yeah the impactful plays are awesome and i mean even stuffing the box i mean he's already like had more productive box score games than he did for his entirety at duke like it's it's absurd uh usually going back to look at yeah looking back at at his at his game log at duke if if you if anyone has not done that uh it's worth it's worth taking a, a peek at to to just see how uh how crazy it is that he's he's been this productive i mean you know you'd hope that you're drafting when you're drafting a a player in the lottery that they could be someone who can come in and contribute right away that doesn't always happen with centers especially but then even more so with a player like Lively, who was a, a big prospect, but just didn't, uh, because of injury and, and a variety of other reasons, didn't have just like uh, eye-popping numbers at, at Duke. Uh, so it, it's, yeah, it's been a treat to see to see what he's done so far. Yeah, and, uh, you know, about the points in the paint, uh, it's not ne- that's not necessarily all in Lively. He faced a lot of situations where he's, kind of on an island guarding a two-on-one because there's been a breakdown in front of him. You know, there's only so much he can do. The Hornets did shoot 22 of 28 at the rim, which is pretty pretty remarkable. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, this is just – the Mavericks perimeter defense just could be a little bit better, um, as we've seen in all of these games. You know, they've been scoring well, but their defense has still been – think below average through these first six games so there's still room so there's obviously some still some some space to to work on there um in the first half the mavericks only made i'm reading this right they made six of um six of 26 from three um and in the second half uh, they made they made eight three-pointers in the second half so yeah um you know again they just needed their shots to fall it is pretty remarkable just the Hornets scored 72 points in the paint and they still lost by six because the Mavericks made 14 threes and the Hornets made eight and two yeah. is greater than one. Um, so it's yeah. just remarkable. And then more about like the math battle, uh, the Mavericks made 24 for free throws. The Hornets made uh, 12. So I thought that was really that stretch in the third quarter. I think you talked about with that funky lineup. That's when Hardy got to the line a lot. Yeah, when they got to the line a bunch in the third quarter, that kind of got them back into the game because I think in the first half, all those missed threes were kind of fueling the Hornets' rhythm and comfortability yeah. in the offense. I mean, it's not like the Hornets were were running up and down the floor, but everyone knows this. Even if it's not a fast break opportunity, if you are walk, bringing the ball up the floor off a miss, that's much more advantageous, even if it's a half court set, than it is yeah. taking the ball out of the basket. And the Hornets. We're not having to take the ball out of the basket a lot because the Mavericks were just shooting a lot of blanks. But uh, well, and I want to ask in the third quarter. Yeah, and I want to ask you kind of off of that thought is uh, because I I wrote it down. Luca and 
Tim Hardaway Jr. in the first half were a combined one of 12 from three. And they, I want to say it was almost 50-50 split on the attempts, but Hardaway came in, as he always is, just like guns blazing. There were there was at least one or two possessions early in the game where he missed, a ball was tipped back out, he took a second attempt on on the possession. Like that's what he's out there to do, and I get that. And I I know you and I in the off season uh, exchanged messages and had conversations about you know the conundrum of like why are you signing. Uh, Seth Curry, when you have Tim Tim Hardaway Jr. on on the roster, does it indicate that maybe they're thinking about moving Tim Hardaway Jr.? That's been the soap opera of the last you know however many seasons. It feels like every few months we're talking about whether Tim Hardaway Jr. is going to get traded. But mm-hmm. but uh, you know, in past seasons, Hardaway was sort of the lone guy that that did what what he does, where he's just out there to like not just space the floor, but run off of like perimeter screens. He's a reliable shooter for the most part. He can, he, he was sort of the only one that does that. Seth Curry does that also. And I know he has played very little so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, I think this is not even his first DNP of the season, if, I, if I'm correct. And granted, Hardaway has 20 pounds on him and <laughs> four or five inches. But I'm curious about uh, Hardaway started the game really cold. What is that going to be? How is that dynamic? Let's say that Hardaway doesn't get moved or that Curry even for that say for that matter, whenever his whenever that like waiting period is up and they don't if they don't move Curry also. What is that dynamic like? Is it really just going to be either one or the other is going to see the floor and how long does Jason Kidd wait into a game? Now, this is game five of 82, and there's going to be plenty of time for guys to see opportunity, but how long in a game do you wait before you say, like, let's give Curry some of these minutes and see if he starts connecting? The defense isn't going to be there for either of them, really, but Hardaway's advantage is that he has the size compared to Curry. But I'm just curious what that is like. Cause I, I was thinking about it a lot in the first half where it was like, we're just letting him fire away <laughs> and, and, you know, shoot or shoot. And eventually he's going to start connecting and he didn't have, I mean, he had 16 points, but he didn't shoot particularly well because of that first half. But I, that was a long explanation to my question of like, what is, what is your perspective now that we're actually in the season about that dynamic between two guys that are really just there to shoot the ball. Yeah, I think it's interesting, especially because, you know, it seems like even tonight, Jaden Hardy wasn't just Tim Hardaway Jr. that was playing over Seth, but it was also Jaden Hardy. Yeah. Yeah. So it is weird. And, you know, Dante Exum didn't play. Like we talked a lot. And like you said, like with Tim, Jaden, Seth, and, and Exum all coming off the bench, like someone's going to get squeezed every night. And it appears it's going to be. Seth and Exum for right now and you know things can change it is you know we have only played a few a handful of games basically out of 82 but yeah they there definitely seems to be a pretty long leash with Tim um they're letting him kind of shoot his way out of slumps like within games I want to say like the difference between his first half and second half shooting is is like night and day because he was I think one of six from three in the first half three of six from three in the second half so yeah. th- they seem to be, feel pretty confident in him 
figuring it well, out. And I wonder also, is it because of the continuity early in the season? You know, I, I mean, I know Seth has been on the Mavs two separate times uh, in the in the past, yeah. but he's still this is the first time he's played for kid um, and right. this and this new coaching staff. So maybe it's they just feel more comfortable with Tim because Tim's been in the system a bit longer. And, yeah. and maybe Seth will get more opportunity as the season goes on. But yeah, I'm not sure. It is it's definitely gonna be something to watch as the season progresses. And maybe you're right. Maybe I mean we went into it talking about the the comparison between Hardaway and Curry, but maybe it's really Hardy and Curry. Like that that might be the dynamic because in terms of like size at least, that's the similarity. I mean, Hardaway is not big, but the the few inches that he does have over him allows them to use him as a small forward, a fake small forward, you know, <laughs> yeah. here and there. Because mm-hmm. there were times where he was even matching up with, and I would never have wanted that, but there were a few times where he was there like guarding PJ Washington on certain lineups. And you're obviously never going to get Seth Curry out there guarding right. anyone close to that size. Um, so maybe it is more Hardy than Curry. And if that's the case, then I'm going to advocate for Hardy to get all of those minutes. I'd rather see his development. I'd rather see him get that opportunity for the most part, because I think that he provides, at least we saw tonight, he's not, he wasn't just a shooter tonight. He got to the line, like you mentioned, he had uh, several uh, drives that were like good, hard, aggressive drives to the basket that like, previously he is he's not been particularly effective there like navigating the length of nba defenders and just timing and athleticism of it but he i mean he had a a, like a poster dunk in the uh i think it was in the third quarter it might have been the fourth quarter but had like a, a vicious uh and one uh dunk in the second half and you're obviously never going to get that from Seth Curry either. <laughs> um, you're not getting that from Hardy every night either. But uh, but you might be you might be right in pointing that out that it isn't just a Hardaway Curry thing. That it's you're dealing with several guards off the bench, and maybe Hardy is the one that's that's sort of slotting into that spot instead of Curry. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, we're going to take a moment here. This is usually Kirk's job, but just to remind everyone to if you're watching us live. Uh, on YouTube, please like the stream, subscribe to the Pod Maverick YouTube channel. That really helps us uh, when we go live, uh, get kind of popping popping up into your feeds more often. Uh, helps us with kind of search algorithm stuff when people are searching for Dallas Maverick stuff on YouTube. The more you like uh, our channel, like our stream, uh, subscribe to our channel, that really helps. If you're listening on uh, the audio only, uh, make sure you're subscribed to that as well. Or if you're listening to us, you know, not live. Wherever you do want to listen to us, uh, please listen to us. Uh, We're going to take a quick break so that I can uh, plug in some ads for our audio-only feed. Uh, For those of you that are watching with us live, we're just going to take a really brief pause, and then we will be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, 
Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, so I feel like we've hit hit on some of the big points in this game. Um, concerning the Hornets, like, you know, this could have been, I mean, the Mavericks could have won this game going away. LaMelo got hot in the fourth uh, from three. Yeah. I mean, Gordon Hayward struggled huge down the stretch because he was pretty big in the first half. Uh, P.J. Washington also wasn't great in the second half. So I feel like they did their job, at least on some of the bigger forward scores. But, but yeah, Mark Williams and Nick Richards kind of, kind of had their way in the paint. And again, I think that was more, not necessarily a knock on, on lively, but more just the dribble penetration. There was just, there was just not a lot of contain there. Um, I kind of want to shout out, we didn't talk about him a lot, but Grant Williams, I feel like he had a great game. Um, Obviously made the clutch threes in the fourth quarter to kind of put it away. I think he helped a little bit on slowing down uh, Hayward and Washington, whenever on either one of those guys. Um, Yep. And I just feel like I, I think I've said this to Kirk after every podcast, like it's it's not that he is like this all star guy, but it's just it's such a breath of fresh air for the Mavericks to kind of acquire a player who has already established himself as a quality NBA player and not have to rely on Luca kind of turning him into something. You know, like yeah. Grant is kind of just doing what he did in Boston. Like he is not expanding his right. game. But guess what? He what he did in Boston was pretty good, uh, especially when you consider where the Mavericks roster is. So he doesn't have to do more than just spot up, hit threes, and play defense. Um, he, and, yeah. yeah. He, he um, there's often, I feel like, a trap for players that are sort of like uh, Williams who come with, uh, A, a lot of experience, both he was, you know, uh, a lot of experience in college, but then also – he had some time at Boston on teams that were ultra competitive and he played mm-hmm. um, maybe not like one of the most important roles, but he played a, a key role on a, a few of those teams. And there is often, I feel like a trap with guys like that, that are essentially role players, like high quality, high floor role players uh, that when they move to a new team that is looking for uh large pieces to fit into their puzzle they try to become something that they're not they try to they they try to uh, i guess take advantage of the uh larger opportunity maybe which i was i was kind of concerned coming into the season that that would be the case i think there's a lot of expectations from fans uh Mm -hmm. in terms of what he he is going to do in dallas um but he has been uh so steady so far and and you know that that could fluctuate and i think that that's okay uh not all players are uh the most consistent especially players that rely on being shooters Uh, shooters are going to go through through uh uh, waves of of downtime or just going cold but uh you can't ask much more from him at this point in providing not just the shooting but He's made some smart defensive plays. He's been 
kind of a tertiary shot blocker in a few games where he's he's not doing that all the time, but he's really good helping uh, or in in coming up behind a shooter. He had a couple of he had at least one of those tonight. I don't know if it was credited as a block or not. I, th- I see that he had a block, I guess, mm-hmm. but he had one I think on Washington or or like someone one of those forwards where uh, he, he's pretty sneaky and and has some good timing. So. Uh, I mean, he is, I believe the number is 23 of 41 from three. That's not like realistic uh, (laughs) for him to shoot 56% on the season, but uh, he's not just hitting threes. He's hit some late game threes that have made a difference in these wins. And uh, I know there's at least been conversation about like what his level of like vocal leadership is and i think maybe people fall on different sides of that in terms of like what what that leadership is like but you know if he's clicking with these guys and he can be uh that presence then they found uh, they found a a good long-term piece because he is still relatively young which is nice that he's a guy that's coming in on a new contract that isn't already like getting ready to celebrate his 30th birthday. <laughs> yeah. That makes a big difference. I thought the Denver, you know, I know that we're talking about the Charlotte game, but I thought the Denver game, like he didn't have an awesome game. He didn't have a bad game, but he didn't have, you know, one of these crazy shooting games that he's been having uh, this season so far, but he still had 13 points, five rebounds, two assists, two blocks, a steal, three of seven from three. Like that line is something like if Dorian Finney-Smith or Reggie Bullock did it in the previous two years, we would like the fan base would be going bananas because it was, you know, that's such a big hurdle for those guys back then was just getting to double digits and scoring. Again, I know it's not their fault. Like that's not necessarily their games or what they're expected to do considering their pedigree. Like Grant has much higher pedigree, but it just makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at, uh, you know, I always try to hesitate, like slotting in new players into old players roles or saying that it's a one to one thing. But if you're saying that he has taken that, I mean, he has essentially become the starting four like Dorian Finney Smith was uh, and and he's doing all of the things that you wanted Dorian Finney Smith to do on any given night. And Finney Smith did that a lot of the time and played uh a very important role in that Western conference finals run. Um, But to have, yeah, to have Williams here doing this immediately, it's not taking him time to like find his place on a new team. He's just kind of come in ready to go. And uh, that, yeah, it it, it definitely makes a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. Kind of looking around. I feel like we've kind of talked about everyone. I wanted to talk to, I think, low-key. I know Kyrie is still in a really bad uh, shooting slump. Um, didn't have his shot going tonight, but 10 assists and two turnovers. I think you mentioned when he played with that unit with the four bench players, like the ball was really moving, and I thought he was finding yeah. guys really well uh, with that lineup. Um, so I thought that was pretty good. Uh, anything else you noticed? Because I think otherwise, you know, we could probably start winding it down. But any final thoughts or anything we haven't talked about yet that, you, that interests you? No, I mean, you know, it, it still ended up being a one possession game with several seconds left. And mm-hmm. uh, the team shot, I guess, as a group, 75% from the free throw line from what I'm seeing. But 
the players that you'd want on the line, I mean, if you're looking at Irving and Doncic, they were 10 of 11. Uh, Hardy added seven more and only missed one. Uh, that that makes a huge difference. The Mavericks have not always that's, – that's one of the things that in those close games they've had issues with in the past was – hitting free throws and that was you know when Irving was when when the Mavericks traded for Kyrie that was definitely something that I remember getting talked about a lot and he only shot four free throws tonight but that was a uh a nice thing to see that they they were able to hit free throws that they weren't getting fouled a bunch at the end that they had to make a bunch in in the final moments but uh in a loss by if it would have been a loss by one or two points everyone would have looked back in previous years and been like, well, they missed eight free throws or <laughs> 10 free throws or whatever it was uh, that helps. And for Luca and Kyrie, who, like you said, neither one shot the ball particularly well tonight, but for them to combine for 19 assists is uh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah, for sure. I think the last thing I wanted to ask you before we get out of here and I'll, I'll give my thoughts after I ask you, uh, but I want to kind of get your take on it is, so there's, they're five and one. Um, all five wins are clutch wins. You could argue all five wins are against teams that aren't great. Uh, although yeah. Brooklyn and, and San Antonio have both played a bit better since they played Dallas, but Memphis is pretty stinky. Chicago is pretty stinky. Uh, Charlotte's yeah. also stinky. I think you look at the standings, I think. So Brooklyn is three and three. Um, the Spurs are three and three. And then all the other teams, Memphis, Charlotte, uh, and Chicago, uh, those teams are all below 500. So they haven't maybe had a definitive win, you could say. You know, Denver has really been the only good team they've played this season, uh, mm-hmm. and they lost by 11. So do you take anything into that, you know, what are your thoughts on 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 that? Uh, does that bother you? Do you care? Um, do you feel like that's just something that's going to sort itself out when they play more better teams later? Or you know, what do you what do you think? Um, I think hearing you say all five wins are clutch wins doesn't make me feel great. <laughs> uh, it makes me like I guess it, like we said at the beginning, like we've said it many, many times already to start the season that like, these are the kinds of games they were losing last year is against mediocre to bad teams in close games. They just couldn't get it done. So the fact that that has not happened yet, we haven't had to talk about a loss to a bad team yet is good. Uh, They can only play the teams that are on the schedule. They don't, they're not making the schedule in real time. So they're playing the teams that are in front of them. Um, And because there are, even though, we just got done saying Williams has kind of stepped in and it doesn't seem like he's having to take time to adjust. There still are players that are playing key rotation spots that are new to this team. And so that I think also plays a factor in some of this. Most of the team was here last season, but uh, between, I mean, in some ways Kyrie still to an extent, because there was only so many games they all played together last year once he was on the team, but him and Lively and Grant Williams and I'm sure I'm forgetting someone else at this Derek Jones Jr. I guess because he's a starter as of now. Uh, there's enough new pieces right now that I think that that also takes some time. Um, that Denver game, I mean, they initially 
uh, that, that first quarter was horrible. And if you took the first quarter out, they, it, you could say they played them leveled, at least on the box score. But I guess what I was impressed by in that game and what makes me less nervous about your question is that they didn't really back down from Denver. They fought all the way through the fourth quarter and, and that ability to, to kind of continue to push Denver to not uh, shut off and just go into autopilot, I think uh, is a good sign. Even if the Mavericks haven't been able to get a good win, I think that any season, even if it would have been an entirely returning roster, any season takes time to get into a groove and so they're probably it's it's a benefit to them that they're not having to face a lot of good teams right now so that allows them to play bad teams close um and find their way as they get into a rhythm but i don't know i i i try the more i watch the mavericks i try to like not uh address the problem until it becomes apparent that it's a problem <laughs> and so like they're winning basketball games, and I think there's some things that are concerning still defensively that against better teams, they're going to get exposed. Um, but because they have Luka, and uh, when Kyrie is engaged, when they have Kyrie, offensively, they're going to be a lot to handle for any team, good or bad. Uh, yeah. So that's a long way of saying, like, I'm not worried about it yet. Uh if they continue uh, deep into November to play every bad team close, then like there's probably alarm bells that need to go off. But at this point, um, I, I don't think it's much to worry about. They haven't had to like, there haven't, haven't been any like buzzer beaters to beat a bad team yet. Like they've at least found ways to like stabilize in the final moments of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that uh, I think that's important and they should be able to take that with them uh, into the harder games in the season. What do you think about it? Yeah, I think I'm mostly on the same page with you. Um, it, it, again, it's like when you win 38 games last season and you finish 11th in the West, it feels weird to complain about any type of win uh, <laughs> that you get in the ensuing season because you know I know that the expectations are high because of Luka and Kyrie, but this was a bad team last season. Um and they played like it, and their record reflected how poorly they played. Um, you could argue maybe some of it was a little fluky, considering they played a, b- a billion clutch games. And sometimes yeah. there's a lot of variance in clutch games where it's it, it can be a little bit more coin flippy than we might want to admit. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's five and one. It's you know, it's like would you rather them be three like three and three, but three of those wins are, are blowout wins? You know, I don't know. Like I just. Right. It feels a little weird right. to me. Yeah. So the one thing I know, you know, the offense has been there every single game. Even in the Denver loss, they scored 114 points. And for the most part, uh, we're, we're playing well offensively. It was just the defense that couldn't get stops. Even the win against Chicago, which was a little bit more muckier and, and, and kind of more of a mud fight, still scored 114 points uh, yeah. and, and shot, shot decently. And then every other game, they've been over 124 or more. So this is starting to feel, I know I wrote about this in the summer. It's really feeling like that 2020, 2019. Yeah, I've heard you say that a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. It really feels like it where their offense just keeps them in every game and maybe their defense is going to hold them back from, from joining that elite echelon of contender, but also they they're coming off a 
11th place finish last season. So do they need, like if they're not a contender this season, I don't think that necessarily puts them behind schedule any more than they were from, from the moves that led to last season. But so I think they're about doing as well as they can considering the new pieces, considering, you know, where they're, where they're at in the West uh, in terms of talent. Um, Well, and they're getting ready. They're getting ready to go into, uh, well, tomorrow. So this is, they're getting ready to do their first back-to-back of the season. Uh, They go on the road tomorrow, uh, Monday Mm -hmm. uh, to Orlando. Um, But uh, so that'll be interesting to see just that dynamic because uh, they have not in recent years, I think, played particularly great on the second night of a back-to-back, uh, even if the first one was a win. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that's – I'm just really pulling that off the top of my head. I'm not sure if that's accurate or not. Um, but the real test looks like – I mean, they're getting ready to hit a tougher part of the schedule. At yeah. least they're, they're taking a step up here where they play – uh clippers they play new orleans in new orleans twice then they go to washington the next night but then they get milwaukee sacramento and both la teams right before uh right around thanksgiving so uh november will be i guess if if you have if you're putting a uh the question out there now it might be good for you and kirk to revisit that same question i'm sure you will but uh, probably two weeks from now, two and a half weeks from now, you may get your answer about, you know, was all of this leading up to this run or was those first five, six, seven games, was that a little bit of fool's gold or, you know, did they take that experience uh, of winning some clutch games, even against bad opponents and, and apply that to some tougher tasks. But uh, it'll be interesting because that there really isn't like a, a warm up. It's sort of like they go from playing some mediocre teams to kind of a, uh, a not a gauntlet, but that's there's a four game road trip. But then also you're playing several playoff caliber teams back to back to back to back. So yeah, that'll yeah. be interesting. Their next ten games at Orlando, home against Toronto and the Clippers, then on the road for New Orleans twice. Washington, Milwaukee, back home for uh, for Sacramento, then on the road for Lakers, Clippers. I mean, in terms of, you know, the, the Kings are off to a little bit of a slow start, um, but considering what they did last season, I think you have to respect them as a quality team. You know, really, yeah. Toronto and Washington are the only kind of, you don't want to call any game a gimme, but just more maybe that they'll be definitely favored. And even Toronto – uh, presents some challenges even with their with their very weird roster that they have um, yeah. th- that's lanky and athletic but can't really score any points but also has all the arms in the NBA yeah. it feels like so <laughs> so yeah by, by the time we get to Thanksgiving I think we're going to know a lot about this team uh, we're going to yeah. know even more than we know right now so that'll be fun it's more of like you know win or lose I love watching the the measuring stick games like it's fun to see them beat up on a horn on a bad Hornets team or or put up a bunch of points against Memphis or that's missing all their, you know, their best player. But, you know, I enjoyed watching that Denver game, even though it was a loss because I just like seeing this team go up against, you know, the best competition. Cause that's really, I think how you figure out how good these teams are. So we'll right. see. Um, I think that's all for me. We've talked for about 40, 40 minutes or so. So Jordan, I think we're going to call it. Uh, thank you Sounds so good. much for joining me tonight. Uh, I appreciate that. We can, 
keep Kirk off the airwaves for at least one more <laughs> night, but he will be back. He's clawing his way back. He is he clawing is. his way back in all facets. He wanted to let uh, let the fans know, if you're listening to this, that he is going to attempt to do a live show uh, tomorrow night. So that would be Monday night. So that would be probably after the Magic game. So if, you're, if you've been missing your Kirk, you will be getting your Kirk uh, <laughs> sooner rather than later. Uh, there's nothing we could do to stop him. We can only hope to contain him. Um, so, yeah. so that, so that's probably going to happen tomorrow. So, we're going to get out of here. This is uh, Josh Bo, uh, Jordan Brodus again. Thanks for joining me. This is Pod Maverick after dark. Again, the Mavericks defeat the Hornets one twenty four one eighteen. The Mavericks are now five and one on the season. We will talk to you guys Monday night after the Magic game. Take care. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.